today. We're in Acts chapter 15, and just as a, a real brief review, remember in Acts 13 and 14, well, what Acts in general is the expansion of the gospel. Remember, it starts in chapter 1 where it starts with Jesus telling the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then the rest of Acts is that expansion of the Gospel where actually what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke, now the apostles do in Acts of the apostles. And so we see in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit come upon them and they start really preaching and we see people coming to the way it's called the way. They, they didn't become Christians. They, they came to the way. It was called the way. And it was following Jesus as Messiah. And so we see it moving through Jerusalem. They deal with different issues there. They're told to stop preaching in Acts 3 and 4. And um, they said, we can't. We've got we to keep preaching. They're beaten. Acts 6, we see, um, we see the church start to deal with logistical issues. They pick deacons to start giving out food to widows who are being uh, neglected. We see Stephen start to rise as the first martyr. And he really, he's a Hellenistic Jew who lays his life down uh, willingly asking people to forgive him, which is a strong demonstration putting God on display. Then we see in Acts chapter 8, it goes into Samaria, just like Jesus said it was going to do. Then we see in chapter 10, Cornelius, where Peter goes to Cornelius. Not Cornelius comes to Peter, but he does send people, but Peter comes to him. That's significant because Peter goes into his house. He comes under his roof, shares the gospel. They trust in Christ and start following Jesus in the way. And then we see the persecution break out. Really, were uh, it had already broken out when uh, Stephen was martyred, but we see Paul converted from being a persecutor to now he's a preacher of the gospel. And in chapter nine, we see that transformation start to take place. And then we see, um, like I said, Peter and Cornelius in 10 and 11. It's reiterated again. Same story told three times. Why it's so significant. And then chapter 13 and 14, we see Paul and Barnabas thrust out on a missionary journey, taking the Gospel all the way to Rome. That was their desire to go. But they went to Galatia. First, they went through the Taurus Mountains. Very treacherous journey. Went to Cyprus went to Iconium, went to Lystra, went to Derby, then turned right around and came back. Now on the way, Paul got stoned. They were kicked out of cities. But in every city, they made disciples. They planted churches. They left church leaders. And remember, the leaders they left didn't have a Jewish Bible. Jeff? These were pagans. They were Greeks. Their, their gods were Zeus and Mercury. And, and, and they, Aphrodite, they, they didn't know anything about Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. They, they may not even have heard about the God of Israel delivering His people from Egypt. They had no understanding, and yet Paul and Barnabas left leaders in charge of these places because they were to meet 
They were to gather regularly. They were to go over the Gospel and go over the truth of God's Word, even though they may have only had one copy within a whole city. If they had that, it may have just been all oral, just what Paul taught them. See, we're so geared to learning by written things that you and I can't really comprehend oral learning. Like, like the, the villages over in northern India or maybe in Africa. Some of these places that they're, they're illiterate, they can't read or write. And most of their learning that has taken place is through oral passed down of stories. And that's how they learn. And, and so Paul and Barnabas left leaders in these cities. But while they were on this journey... Word got back to Jerusalem and there were some people that we saw this last week. They came up to Antioch and said, hey, these people aren't saved unless they're circumcised. They went up with no authority from the church. They just went independently. They were independent renegades going up there with an agenda. And remember last week, we, we saw as God's kingdom priests, Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? They stood firm against false teaching. Paul said in Galatians 2, he said, we're not going to yield even for a moment to somebody who comes in and perverts the gospel. And so, as God's kingdom priests, we stand firm against false teachers. Anybody who attempts to add law to grace, to add something to Jesus, we need to stand firm again. And we said silence is not standing firm. We need to speak out. Second, we saw, what did they do? They sent Paul and Barnabas who took Titus with him and some others down to Jerusalem to go consult with the spiritual leaders in Jerusalem. Why did they go there? Why did they go to Jerusalem? Yeah, they, they went there. They went to seek wisdom from the spiritual leaders, the people who were the, the kind of the guardians of the truth. Because that's where it began, right? That's where they went. And so... We saw that we, when we have spiritually divisive issues, we need to seek wisdom from leaders in our faith community, people who are in the church, the guardians of the truth. And then third, we saw that we need to stay grounded in God's Word. And remember last week, Peter, Peter stood up after a while and he testified and he said, he stood up and he basically said five things. Just as a reminder, when it says Peter stood up and he spoke, the first thing he said was, listen, I was there and I witnessed what God did in the Gentiles. That's what he says first of all. I was there. I'm an eyewitness to what God did. God, I saw it. Second, he said God made the choice. It wasn't just something I decided to do. God in His sovereignty made the choice to bring the Gentiles in. Third, he said, God gave them the Holy Spirit just like He did you and me. The same way. It manifested the same way. They're, these people are cleansed through faith just like we are. They're, they're, it's not like keeping the law, but the Holy Spirit was given to them. Fourth, God made no distinction between them and us. None. There was no distinction made. And finally, he says, guys, we couldn't keep the law. We're all saved by grace. Don't test God. You know in Scripture when you see 
testing God. You know what that means? Don't make him angry. Don't make him angry. Peter says, don't test God. We couldn't keep the law. We're all saved by grace. So Peter says all these things. Why is this such a big deal? Because here's what's happening. Is when, when you get this error that comes in that distorts the Gospel and adds to it, two things happen. First, it destroys a biblical view of salvation. Anytime you add any works to grace, it's no longer grace. Any work. If you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. So the first thing is it destroys a biblical view of salvation. Second, it destroys the unity of the church because you have the A team and the B team. You got the, the varsity Christians and then the JV down here. You have two classes of Christians. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. There is no Jew and Greek. There's only believers and unbelievers. And so that's what it does. It, it makes two classes. So those are two errors. That's why they said, we got to deal with this. We can't just allow this to go on. And so today, as we look through 15, 13 through 35, really there's just two ideas here. And the first one is we just need to stay true to the gospel. We just need to stay true to the Gospel. Don't put on people anything required for salvation other than what? Jesus and Jesus alone. It's just Jesus. That seems simple. It's so simple a child can grasp. So why is it? What is it about the human condition that we want to add to it? You know, you know where I see this a lot? Like, Let's say I'm playing golf with somebody or I go out and somebody like sometimes I'll go play with a friend and they'll invite somebody who they'll figure out I'm a preacher when we get out there right and when we get out there they'll just offer up so you're a preacher huh yeah well um, you know I used to cuss a lot but I don't cuss anymore I'm like so <laughs> why are you telling me I mean like it's almost like Confession, like I, I'm a pretty good person. You know what? Sometimes I, I do this, but I don't drink or, you know, I don't I don't take drugs or anything. They they just start offering up things that they don't do because inherent in us is this desire, and even for people who say they love Jesus and are believers, there's something innate in us that wants to kind of add to what Jesus has done somehow justify ourselves before God. We just need to stay true to the Gospel. And that's what, that's what they get across here. It, we, we don't need to trouble the Gentiles with anything other than Jesus. And then, they do say we need to be sensitive to those we're trying to reach. In other words, be sensitive to those that need the Gospel. Those are really the two ideas from this text. Stay true to the Gospel. Be sensitive to those you're trying to reach. And I think that's what James gets across there and the, and the people there at this meeting come up with when they tell them don't eat meat strangled idols or sacrifice to idols or strangled or blood. When they're saying those things, they're saying we need to be sensitive to those we're trying to reach. 
and, and we'll look at that in the text. So it's Acts 15, verses 13 through 35. And well, we're just going to read through it and then work our way through each one of these verses. Starting in verse 13. After they finished speaking, who? It's talking about Paul and Barnabas there. They'd relayed the signs and wonders that God had done. James replied. And by the way, this James is James the brother of Jesus. Amen. This James is the same James that in John chapter 7 said, hey, why don't you just reveal yourself if you're the Messiah? Go ahead and go early and show everybody it's you. He was one of the brothers that did that. This was the same brother who said, man, he's out of his senses. We need to go rescue him, get him home. That same James who was not a believer, the same James that Jesus appeared to, who has now become a pillar, according to Galatians, of the Jerusalem church. He's the leader. So much so that it's not Peter speaking this authoritatively. It's James. This James is the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. Okay? And it says, Listen to me, brothers, he says. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take away from them a people for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by My name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim Him. For He has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, They went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. 
And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. You know, if you, uh, you go back to verse 13, James stood up and said, Brothers, listen to me. And then he proceeds to make a pronouncement. One, he, he gives them the Old Testament. One, one of the things that's known about James traditionally through the early church fathers is that he was very well versed in the Old Testament. In fact, if you go look in the book of James, you will see that as you read through that. And so he takes them to Amos chapter 9 here after he quotes Peter. First he references something Simon said, and then he goes to the Gospel. I mean, to the, uh, to the book of Amos where he talks about Gentiles always being part of the plan. But notice what he says about what Peter says after he says, listen to me. He says, Simon related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for His name. Now, every Jew would have recognized that phraseology there. A people for His name. If you go back and you look in Exodus and you look in Genesis and you look in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and look at how when God referred to taking these people, He took a people to what? Bear His name. To carry His name. And what he's saying is here, Simon relayed how God first visited the Gentiles to take them from them a people for His name. So God came and took them. Guys, do you realize this is well before John Calvin was ever born? God came and took them just like He took you and me. One of my friends says that God reached into the toilet bowl and pulled us out. That's true. He reached into the toilet bowl of the world and pulled us out. Nobody comes to Him on His own. Nobody on their own goes, wow, I need God. He draws us. He reaches down and draws us. And what James is saying here, our brother Simon relayed how God did that with Cornelius. And then, who's he talking to? Remember, he's talking to these Pharisees, some who may be pretend believers, some may be authentic believers, but he's talking to these people who are saying you've got to add the law and circumcision to Jesus. Because they're having a problem with the Gentiles saying these guys have they haven't they don't know the secret handshake. They they haven't been brought up with the same things you and I have. And notice what he says. He goes right into Amos 9 and says, "Listen, this, the words of the prophets agree with what Peter said. He doesn't say it's fulfilling prophecy. He said they agree. And then he quotes, and listen what he says. After this I will return. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. Well, by just making that statement, what is he implying? Yeah, but I mean by saying I'm going to rebuild, what does that mean happened to it? Yeah, it, it, got, it got decimated by Babylon, by the Assyrians. God's people were taken into captivity. Why? 
for disobedience. Were, were, they, were they wearing the name of God well? Were they going out? Remember what he told them back in Deuteronomy chapter 6? He says, listen, when I bring you into this land and you come into and you get all these vineyards, don't think you've planted them. When you get this well water, don't think you built that well. I did that. They forgot that. They came in thinking they did it. And so God took them into captivity. Took them into Babylon. He took them into Assyria. And they languished there. But He says, I'm going to bring them back. And He's reminding them that He says, I'm going to rebuild the tent of David. That's talking about His people. I will rebuild its ruins. God says, I'll do it. I will restore it. And the remnant of mankind, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who were called by My name. So he's going back to Amos saying, this was always part of God's plan. The Gentiles are not an add-on because Jewish people blew it. They were always a part. Back in Genesis 12, through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, as he was saying. And so, Gentiles have always been a part. And, and they were never supposed to be second-class citizens. In fact, if you look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, who's in there? Well, let's see. Tamar. Tamar. Was she Jewish? What about um, Ruth? Was she Jewish? Hmm. Gentile. What about Rahab? she Jewish? Wow. In the genealogy of Jesus, they were a part. Because it's about grace. It's not about what we do. That's why Peter was so adamant. We, we've not been able to keep the law. We have to stay true to the Gospel. Ephesians 2 says, for by what? By grace you've been saved through faith. By grace through faith. There's nothing you can do. Galatians 5.2 says... If you take circumcision and you think that makes you acceptable, then Christ is of no value. You basically diminish what Jesus did on the cross if you think taking circumcision is... That's what Paul's saying in Galatians 2. What about um, Romans 5.8? While we were still sinners, what? He died for us. Not that we cleaned up. That's why when people say, well, do I have to do this and this and this in order to be saved? No, but you have to, you'll do this, this, and this because you're saved. Right, right. That's the issue. You don't do anything to earn it, but you do things in response to it. After, after you've been redeemed, something takes place in you. And, and, and it changes you from the inside out. And so we got to stay true to the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, we talked about it last week, that Jesus what? Died according to the Scriptures. He was resurrected according to the Scriptures. It is the Scriptures telling us that Jesus came to be our atonement. He came to die for us. So we can't add anything to it. We need to stay true to that. So if that's true, why did they tell Him not to eat things polluted by idols? Why do they tell them not to eat things strangled or eat things that are, still have lifeblood in it? To abstain from sexual immorality. Well, what they're saying 
in verse 19, he says, It's my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And he's talking there about the gospel by trying to make them go back and become Jews before they walk with Jesus. But he goes on to say, verse 20, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. Now why is that? From sexual immorality. Well, because in the Greek world, sex outside of marriage was normal. They had very, very bizarre sexual perversions incestuous sexual perversions, all kind of stuff. Even so that even after people became believers, Paul was still having to deal with it with the Corinthians. And so that was very normal. So he's saying, listen, there is going to be a change in you uh, and you need to allow that change to happen so that you can be a witness to your Jewish brothers. The other thing you need to watch out is don't eat meat polluted by idols because that's going to offend your Jewish brothers. You don't need to eat meat strangled or that still has lifeblood in it because why? That's going to offend your Jewish brothers. And so it's a matter of being sensitive to them, not alienating them. It's not that you've got to do that in order to be saved, but you do that out of sensitivity so that you don't offend these Jews you're trying to reach. Because these churches in Cilicia and in Galatia, they're going to be reaching out to Jewish people. And these Jewish people have been taught the dietary laws. And so they're, they're going to be very offended if you sit down to eat with them. Brad, you've been to India. What would happen if you sat down over there and you're trying to witness to a Hindu and you have a big hamburger in front of you? Well, that may be his cousin Oscar. They'd say, holy you know? cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. But that may be his cousin Oscar because they believe in reincarnation. And that's why they don't eat meat. So I'm not going to sit down with a Hindu and eat a big old steak in front of him. Because I'm going to be sensitive to that. In the same way, if I was here at town center and I started talking with a Muslim, I'm not going to say, hey, give me that big pork rib sandwich. I'm not going to do that. Because that's offensive to him. And so you want to build bridges, not put up barriers between people. And so what they tell them is they say, listen, be sensitive to those we're trying to reach. So let's just not eat food that's sacrificed to idols or polluted by idols. Let's not eat food that still has lifeblood in it. Let's not eat food that's been strangled uh, because that will be offensive to your brothers. Let's stay away from sexual immorality so that we don't put off people that we're trying to reach. Okay? It's orthodoxy with sensitivity. I mean, look, if you go to Romans 14, in fact, let's flip over there real quick because this is instructive. This is Paul writing the Roman church. They're dealing with this issue. Rome struggled with all these issues too. And I know this is a lengthy passage, but I feel like it would be good to read it just because we hear God's Word speaking to this whole issue of being sensitive. Um, to the culture. Because I want you to picture stop signs versus a yield sign. At a stop sign, it's a rule, right? You stop. At a yield sign, you're sensitive to people that are there. And you let them go. They have the right of way, right? You let them go. But it's, it's not a hard rule to stop at a yield sign. And so... 
think about it in those kind of terms as far as like as we deal, we've got to know when do we bend and when do we not bend as it relates to our freedom. So Paul addresses this in Romans 14. He says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, don't bring him in to, to talk to him and start arguing with him over, over his opinion versus your opinion. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to Him. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that He might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And he goes on in verse 17 and says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. And remember what's happening. You've got people in Jerusalem that are saying these people aren't right. They're not circumcised. They're not keeping the law. And so there was divisiveness there. And... And what James is saying, and ultimately the, the group, the church in Jerusalem is saying, listen, in order to go back and be sensitive to the Jewish people you may encounter who are not yet followers of Jesus, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, don't eat meat with lifeblood in it, don't eat meat that's strangled, and don't be sexually immoral. Don't be sexually immoral. And sometimes we got to remember, guys, it's not just what you say, it's how we say it. That's true. That's why Ephesians 4 says that we should speak the truth in love. And sometimes we may do something that we don't necessarily have to do in order to be sensitive in a way to people as to not give offense to them. Let me give you an example from Matthew chapter 17. Jesus was with Peter. And the guys, they've been trying to trap him. And so guys come up to Peter and says, hey, does your master not pay the tax? The temple tax? And what did Peter say? Remember what he said? He said, yes, he does. Well, first of all, Peter shouldn't have said anything because Jesus goes on to instruct Peter 
on who is supposed to pay the temple tax. And he says, hey, Peter, who pays the tax? Is it the sons or for strangers? I mean, no royalty pays tax in a kingdom. <clears throat> if you're the son of the king, do you think the son of the kings in a kingdom are taxed? They're not taxed. They're part of the royal family. And that's what Jesus tells Peter. He goes, this is my kingdom, Peter. I'm not going to pay tax. But he says, but, so as not to offend. Why? Because Peter's already said he did it. Peter already told him, yeah, he pays taxes. So he said, Peter, take your line, go down there, throw it in the, the, you know, throw it in the Sea of Galilee and pull it out and you're going to get the coin and go pay the tax. So that, that miracle always cracks me up. I mean, think about what had to happen for that to happen. Okay, first of all, Jesus brought the fish to the line that had the coin. You think He doesn't control everything? everything? That He can take a fish in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, can bring it to Peter's hook, put it on that hook, the very one that has a coin in it? How did He know a coin was in it? It's like your friend in the truck. Yeah, yeah. Somebody might have thrown that coin in the water two years ahead of time. Exactly. But, but, but it goes back to what I said earlier about Gentiles being part of the plan. God is unfolding a plan in our lives and in the lives of the world, and He is doing so much more than we think about in our own daily little walk. And, and so He tells Peter, but the point of it all is He says not to give offense. That's why He did what He did. I think about my own life and how many times I've offended because of my rights. I've offended because, well, I've got a right to do that. Do you think we've had a problem with that in the last two years? <laughs> with the mask? With the lockdowns? With everything else? It's all part of the control by the government. Just remember, we're called to speak truth, but we're called to speak truth in love. And to not give offense. Paul says, I become all things to all men so that I may reach them. Right? And so there's a difference between cultural sensitivity and culturally driven. We are not to be culturally driven people in the church. The culture doesn't drive what we do, but we do need to be sensitive to what's going on in our culture. And that's the same way as, as having a missional mindset in that when I go to Russia, I don't just go over there with my agenda. I go over there to see, see how I can serve. And that's what we should do in our world. And so being sensitive to those who we are trying to reach is an important aspect of what I think they're trying to get across to these people. And notice, this was a big deal because why? The people up in Cilicia, the people in Antioch, they were offended. And they had a right to be offended. People came up there and said, you're not, you're second class Christians. You're not even real Christians yet because you've got to be circumcised. And they were troubled, is what the, the text says. They were troubled. It says, go back to Acts 15 real quick. It says, they troubled you with words. They unsettled your minds. They were offended. And so, so what did they decide to do? Well, they wrote them a letter and they put those things in that I just shared. But they also sent 
two men, Silas, and they sent Judas, right? Judas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. In other words, they were, these were two leaders who were prophets. Notice how, remember last week we said, how did they refer to the men who came up? They were just some men. Notice how they gave, these men were prophets. These were leading men of the group. And it says, they sent them as witnesses and representatives. Why? Why do you think they sent these men instead of just sending the letter back with Paul, Barnabas, and Titus and whoever else was with them? They authenticated because they were Jews. Yeah, where were they from? Where were Judas and Silas from? Jerusalem. They were leading men from the Jerusalem church. And they didn't just want to send a letter up there because why? A letter... Anybody could write a letter. Well, yeah. And a letter is one-way conversation. Do you guys have a problem with text, emails, or letters sometimes? Sometimes. Because there's not two-way communication going on? It's only coming from one way. You can't discuss with a letter. You can't interact with a text or an email. It's just one way. And they said, no, we're going to send not one, but two witnesses. We're going to send two witnesses from here with us. And they sent them as representatives. And notice in verse 23 what it says. It says, with the following letter. And then it gives an excerpt from the letter. It says, the brothers, both the apostles and elders. So now they're stating this is coming with apostolic authority. This isn't just James. It's not just Peter. It is apostles and elders of the church in Jerusalem, the mother church. But notice what it says, who it's to. It says, the brothers, both the apostles and elders to who? To who? The whole church. Well, no, it makes a very specific statement there. To the brothers. To the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Cilicia, and Syria. They call them brothers. They haven't been circumcised yet. So they're making a a profound statement here. These are our brothers. They are our equals. These are not second-class citizens. These are our brothers. And they go on to say, listen, verse 24, when he says, since we've heard some persons have gone out from us and troubled you, although we gave them no instruction, it seemed good to us to have come to one accord to choose men and send them to you. Men who've risked their lives, talking about Paul and Barnabas, send them back. Basically what the, the leaders are saying there, guys, we apologize. We, we didn't give them instruction. We're sorry. This was wrong. This was not right what happened. And, and we want you to know, they went out from us without our blessing. They had no instruction from us. So it was wrong. And so, it goes on to say that, talking about Paul and Barnabas, these men risked their lives for the Gospel. Does that give them credibility? You bet. You bet. Do you know why John Monger stands so tall in my mind, although he's a very humble guy? Because he's one of the few people that I've ever met that has actually been in prison and beaten for telling people about Jesus. Who've risked their life countless times to go back into the lion's den. He was my translator in the very country that imprisoned him for 15 months. 
He, he has no fear. Amen. He risked his life for the gospel. And what they're saying is, Paul and Barnabas took the gospel over to, through the Taurus Mountains to Iconium, to Lystra and Derby. They risked their life. Do you think these men don't care about the gospel? Of course they care. And, and so we sent this back saying, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit bringing God into it and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. He goes through it again from blood, from what has been strangled and sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. That's it. You don't have to keep all 619 laws. You don't have to get circumcised. If you just do these things. <laughs> Kent Hughes said, it's kind of like a, there was a guy, he mentioned a college student one time who wrote, it was a, a girl who wrote her dad and said, Dad, listen, um, there's a guy, he's been divorced twice, but I met him on campus and I really like him and, and we want to get married and we want to get married next year. And, um, and oh yeah, and um, by the way, I also wrecked my car the other day and I totaled it and I don't know what I'm gonna do for transportation. And, um, and oh yeah, by the way, I'm pregnant and I wanted to let you know that. And, uh, and then flip the letter over on the other side and it says, Dad, everything I just wrote was not true, uh, but I made a D in math and I need more money. Could you please help me? When the dad saw the second part of the page, he was so relieved he'd have sent her a thousand dollars. Is she in sales today? Yeah. Isn't it true? It's perspective, right? And so, how did they respond when they got this letter? Remember, they were offended. These were people that were told they were second-class citizens. And notice what it says. If you go down and you look at verse 31, when they read it, what does it say? They rejoiced. They were so excited. They were relieved. You mean, wait a minute, we don't have to get circumcised? We don't have to keep the 619 laws? Wow! We can do this! Man, we, we don't have to eat food sacrificed to idols. We don't have to eat, eat food that's strangled or, or food that has blood in it. And oh, sexual immorality? Woo, that ain't nothing as long as we don't have to keep the 619 laws. That's what Kent Hughes was saying. It's kind of like they were so encouraged by the fact that it was Jesus plus nothing. And they were happy to be sensitive. And notice what it says in verse 33. And after they had spent some time there, they were, spent, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So they sent Judas and Silas back in shalom. Everything was all good now. Unity. What did Jesus pray for in John 17 with the church? Unity. Unity. That they would know you were mine by your love. This could have been a major deal. It could have split the church. It was the first real attack of heresy coming into the church. And they dealt with it. They dealt with it. And they were encouraged. And now you're going to see them continue to flourish as we go through um, and do that. So they were sent off in peace. Stay true to the Gospel. 
and be sensitive to those we're trying to reach. Van, will you close our time in prayer? Thank you, Lord, that we can come together in Jesus Christ's name. Thank you for taking the truth from God. Just keep us close to you this week. Help us to follow you with all our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.